The Guardian. I'm John Dennis. In today's podcast, we're looking at Afghanistan. David Cameron has made his first visit there as Prime Minister. What difference will the new government in Britain make to the UK's military strategy? The last government was accused of failing to equip the armed services for the job in Afghanistan. Will the new government do any better? I'm joined in the studio by The Guardian's security editor, Richard Norton-Taylor, and in Kabul, The Guardian's Afghanistan correspondent, John Boone. We're also going to hear in a moment from our chief political correspondent, Nicholas Watt. But first, let's hear David Cameron addressing the troops in Helmand last week during his first trip to Afghanistan as Prime Minister. My biggest duty as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom is to our armed forces and to make sure they have all of the equipment and all of the protection that they need to do the absolutely vital job that they're doing here in Afghanistan. And I'm pleased to announce today that we will be spending an extra £67 million on countering the IED threat and actually doubling the number of British teams that are there to counter the threat from uh, those explosive devices. This is the year when we have to make progress, progress for the sake of the Afghan people, but progress also on behalf of people back at home who want this to work and want to see real progress this year. Because obviously, no one wants British troops to stay in Afghanistan for a day longer than is necessary. The president doesn't, the Afghan people don't, the British people don't. But what we want, and in our national security interest, is to hand power over to an Afghanistan that is able to take control of its own security. The Guardian's chief political correspondent, Nicholas Watt, went with David Cameron to Afghanistan last week. I asked him how this prime ministerial visit compared with previous trips Nick had been on. Well, it's interesting because it's not that long ago that Gordon Brown went to Afghanistan and uh, he's working, uh, uh, David Cameron, under the same strategy uh, that Gordon Brown was working. And the reason why they're working under the same strategy is that strategy is not decided in London. It's decided in Washington by Barack Obama and by General Stanley McChrystal. So in a sense, not much had changed, but in many ways, a great deal had changed. And I think the reason why a great deal had changed is that David Cameron was able to articulate in very clear terms what Gordon Brown had tried but had struggled to articulate, which is why are we there? And David Cameron, who does have a fluency and who does have an ease with the English language, said we're there for two reasons. It's national security. And he put it very simply and very clearly and said Afghanistan hosted training camps that were used by al-Qaeda to launch the 9-11 attacks. They're not in Afghanistan anymore and they mustn't return. And they will return if uh, we don't sort out this NATO operation. So pretty clear, pretty simple. But the strategy, in a sense, is not that much different. Are members of the Conservative Liberal Democrat coalition all singing from the same hymn book on Afghanistan? No, because I don't think anyone is singing from the same hymn book because uh, people do have real doubts and real problems with what's going on in Afghanistan. We shouldn't forget that in the run-up to the general election, the Liberal Democrats sort of flirted with the W word, the withdrawal word, and uh, because the mission uh, doesn't look a great stunning success. Uh, and I think that Paddy Ashdown, the former leader uh, of the Liberal Democrats, uh, who was at one point seen as a possible international representative uh, in Afghanistan, Afghanistan, he pulled Nick Clegg away from that position 
Although Paddy Ashdown said we really, really do have to sort out the strategy. That was obviously before the Obama McChrystal surge was announced uh, in December last year. So, yes, the Liberal Democrats sort of vaguely flirted with the W word. Uh, the Conservatives uh, entirely support the military mission, but they do have criticisms. They have criticisms uh, that not enough British troops were sent into Helmand province. It was about 3,000. It's now pushing on for uh, 10,000. They weren't equipped properly. And the whole mission uh, has looked like it's sort of lacking a sense of direction. But since the Obama surge was announced by the president uh, back in December, the Conservatives, along with most of the other parties, have felt that there's a much clearer sense of mission and uh, they are being uh, more supportive. And what about the, the government's plans to cut public spending? How will that affect the troops in Afghanistan? Well, for the moment, uh, the Ministry of Defence budget is protected. There are three budgets that are protected for this year. It's the NHS, it's uh, overseas aid and it's the Ministry of Defence. Uh, but the Conservatives are saying that from next year, only the NHS and overseas aid will be protected and that the MOD, uh, well, they'll be looking for cuts there. That will be after the Strategic Defence Review takes place and that will finish uh, in the autumn in time for the autumn spending review uh, by George Osborne. So absolutely, uh, Liam Fox, the Defence Secretary, has said that, yes, we may be looking uh, at a cut in the number of troops, but that will be a cut in the overall number of British troops. It won't initially for the moment be a cut in the number of troops in Afghanistan. But essentially what Liam Fox is saying is that the last time we had a strategic defence review was way back in 1998. Since then, we've had Kosovo, we've had Sierra Leone, we've had Iraq, and now we've got Afghanistan. It's about time we started doing a root and branch review, asking deep, penetrating questions about what we can do and what we can't do. Nicholas Watt, who I spoke to from Brussels earlier. The Guardian's security editor, Richard Norton-Taylor, is with me. Richard, is the NATO offensive working? No, I mean, it depends what you mean by offensive, really, but I think NATO commanders know, and John will know this too, of course, that um, they uh, try to... Uh, operation Mosharak, which is meant to be billed as the biggest operation against Taliban forces, really, and try and secure that area in central Helmand around Marja that was started, that big operation, early this year. Now... They were quite optimistic at the beginning, the NATO commanders and British commanders and Central Hellman there, that they would take over this large area, highly populated area, and that the um, and, and to provide security for local Afghans. And the sort of Taliban sort of would, would, would move away, maybe go somewhere else, but move away from this key area. But, of course, they, then they haven't. And General Sani McChrystal said the other day that, as he was talking to his troops, there was a perception that... Marja, this great, and the, where the, the centre of this big operation earlier this year was a bleeding ulcer, he calls it. Now everyone is talking about Kandahar, the neighbouring Kandahar province. What, what do we do there? What kind of operation? It was going to be military at all. And um, so the NATO strategy is really at sixes and sevens. John Boone in Kabul, is that uh, your assessment of the UK troops' position? Well, I mean, obviously the, the UK is, is a sort of subsidiary part of this overall strategy, which is, of course, being led by the Americans. And of course, there's been a huge influx of American troops into Helmand to bolster the British position, which had really been one of too few resources spread too thinly across uh, the province. But uh, as, as was just said, this, this whole strategy really relies on American military might. And whether or not counterinsurgency uh, strategy in the the environment that we're talking about in Helmand and Kandahar and, and in eastern Afghanistan, whether or not that can ever really work, there's this secondary problem of the whole timetable being accelerated and 
real results needing to be shown really according to the Washington political clock by the end of the year when uh, Stanley McChrystal will have to go to Congress and show that and, and, and show that he is delivering. And there's, I think, a real question that he will be able to show or, or produce the metrics which really prove there has been uh, a, a real sea change in in the, the situation on the ground in places like Kandahar and Helmand. Almost 300 British troops have now died in Afghanistan. 298 is the current figure. One of them was Matthew Telford, a grenadier guard who was killed in November last year, shortly after being promoted to acting sergeant. He leaves a wife, Kerry, and two children, Harry, who's four, and 10-year-old Callum. But because he hadn't been in the post for a year, the Ministry of Defence is refusing to pay his family a full sergeant's pension. His mother, Cheryl, is campaigning against what she sees as an injustice. Because Matthew had been in post only a few months before he was um, shipped to Afghanistan and was killed uh, before he'd complied with the rule which said he had to be in the role for a year, the widow's pension is paid at his previous rank. We feel that Had he not been murdered, uh, he would have been able to comply with the rule. And we we went to see our MP to ask whether we could uh, do anything about it. Uh, You know, what should be the course of action? And he recommended that an early day motion was put into the House to ask if they could change the rule so that service personnel killed whilst on operational tour, that then the the 12 months um, rule would not apply. That was uh, Austin Mitchell. Presumably the the position that um, Matthew's family and yourself found yourselves in applies to many other families as well. We have asked, well, I believe Austin has asked the MOD for figures of, of how many people that would apply to because it would have applied in, in previously, obviously. Uh, but the MOD are not in a position to give that information because, obviously, it would be, I presume, quite time-consuming. And they have a, a, a limit on, you know, the spend on when they're looking at uh, information and whatnot. But, um, obviously, if the rule was changed, then that would have to be done to look, look back to see who else was in that same position. Cheryl Telford. Richard Norton-Taylor, has the morale of British troops um, improved with the change of government in the UK? Well, I, I, think, I think they've the troops realise now that with a, with a, with a new government, uh, with um, Cameron and, um, and Liam Fox, the Defence Secretary, injecting a, a, at least a perception of, of more urgency, and they've been... Uh, and they're, because there is a political clock in Britain as well, with increasing, you know, public opinion getting increasingly impatient and, and opposed to Brit- the British military presence there, and and they're lowering expectations as are the Americans too. They're not, they're talking about now an Afghan good enough, and uh, but anyway, Cameron and um, Fox, Liam Fox, are pushing the the, the the greater emphasis I think than before, and a greater urgency in the need for um, for for recruiting and, and training more Afghan local forces. And the desperate hope, really, the increasingly desperate hope, is that uh, by the time the NATO summit in Lisbon in November, the, the Afghans will say that they're ready to take over some districts for uh, security 
uh, of some district by their own forces, which of course they probably will be able to say anyway, but then comes the July 2011 deadline, not only for the Americans to start withdrawing forces, but the British as well. And I think they've got the greater urgency in answer to your question by this new government than before. And, and, the, and the greater convincing, I think, um, description of, the, of the, the British mission in Afghanistan, if you like, by David Cameron, much more convincing uh, than Gordon Brown was. At Prime Minister's questions this week, David Cameron rejected calls to withdraw from Afghanistan. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, Even as we speak, I'm sure that the Prime Minister and his team will be looking to make savings and cuts, possibly, hopefully, without affecting frontline services. May I commend to him one way of saving £7.2 million a day, bring the troops home from Afghanistan? Well, I have to say to the Honourable Gentleman, I just don't agree with him. I think that if we brought the troops home precipitately, if we did it straight away, I think not only would we be letting down our NATO allies, not only would we be letting down uh, the Afghan people, we would also be creating a situation in which the Taliban would return and the danger of terrorist training camps in Afghanistan would come straight back. Now, I know that what we're doing is dangerous and difficult and it is costing us dearly. I'm acutely aware of that, of course. But what I think we need to do is put our effort and our shoulder behind the wheel of the Obama-McChrystal plan to make sure it works as best as it can and accompany that military surge with a political surge as well, seeking a political settlement to get Taliban fighters to put down their arms and reintegrate into Afghan society. That is the way to create some stability in Afghanistan. Never a perfect democracy, but some stability, in which case our troops can come home with their heads held high. David Cameron at PMQs this week. John Boone, um, what effect would um, withdrawal have if everything is in, goes to plan and, and withdrawal does start happening in July next year? What effect would that have on Afghanistan? Well, I think, it, I mean, it all depends again on what progress, if any, is shown this year. And we don't really know what the nature of this withdrawal is. We, we've only been told that that's when troops will start to pull out. And increasingly, people at NATO headquarters in Kabul are talking about this being an extremely gradual pullout, and and it will, will depend on condition, conditions on the ground. And then there are some other major initiatives which don't get talked about much, but particularly the training mission for the Afghan army and the Afghan police, which is an extraordinary business where... Very late into the game, the Americans and NATO more generally have realised the sort of terrible wasted years and mistakes in trying to build up a professional, capable Afghan army and police force of sufficient size. And they're finally doing lots of extraordinary things to to basically create from scratch an effective Afghan army. And that's not going to change after July 2011. I mean, that will go on for years so the it will it will be very um, it will be a very mixed picture in terms of what July 11 means. I suspect it will be a, a token transition, or or rather a real transition in those areas of the country where the security conditions are reasonably good, and you can hand over to Afghan forces. But that the bulk of the U.S. mission will remain in place, and then critical things like the army and police training will will go on for many years.
Um, John, um, one other um, quite unexpected factor um, in this is that the US Geological Survey has reported that there's nearly a trillion dollars worth of untapped mineral deposits in Afghanistan. How might that discovery change things? Well, I mean, it's important to remember this is not a new discovery that the um, geologists have known there's been huge uh, untapped reserves of various different types of minerals since the 80s when, and even before that, when um, Russian geologists were working in Afghanistan. However, it's been rather seized upon by the US military who have been tasked with trying to create a sustainable Afghan economy because at the moment the whole place is kept afloat by opium money and also by the international presence itself, pumping in huge amounts of money, both in development aid, but also in buying goods and services from Afghan companies to do things such as securing bases and delivering fuel, gravel and and food to the massive international presence here. So they're acutely aware that there is not a sustainable economy that could ever begin to pay for the ongoing costs of the Afghan state, particularly the costs of the um, the security forces, the army and the police, which, as I was saying earlier, is in the process of being massively enlarged. The cost for that each year in, let's say, a few years' time will be about $6 billion a year. And considering the entire you know, GDP for this, this country is, is vastly less than that, they need, the Afghan economy needs some real uh, big ticket revenue earners, one of which could be these, these minerals. There's a copper mine that's already in the process, the very early stages of being exploited by a Chinese state-run company. Uh, this uh, next week in London, there's going to be an investors conference uh, to talk about the the potential for mineral mining, in particular a major iron ore deposit in central Afghanistan. So it's it's an important part of the long term process of how Afghanistan can ever pay for this enormous security force that it's going to be given by the West. Um, but it's not a short term thing at all. In the short term. The trillion dollar find, so-called by the US Army, is really just a a good news story. This is something for the the mid and long term. John Boone in Kabul, Richard Norton-Taylor here in London. Many thanks for joining us. Guardian Daily was produced today by Phil Maynard and Tim Maybin. I'm John Dennis. Thank you for listening.